once you kind of start breaking down the process, right? And it's not $800,000 that I needed to really raise, right? I just needed eight people to say yes to 100,000 bucks, right? And okay. I'd had some private investors that had done some of my flips for me and I started there, right? I went to a lot okay. of networking events. There's a lot of people that have 100K, believe it or not. And so all I had to do was get people, eight people to say yes. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Welcome to another episode of the Azria Show. I am your host, Marcus Maloney, and we have our co-host, Michael Dale Preet. I almost gave you my last name, Mike. Hey. <laughs> How are you doing today, Mike? Good, good. Excited for this episode, man. Got a lot to talk about. Absolutely, absolutely. So you being here as an Azria member or an Azria guest, or if you stumbled upon this podcast, we're all about empowering investors one property at a time. So we're going to be talking about real estate investing, and we have Ben Suttles here, and he is a investor and entrepreneur who hails from Houston, Texas. And we're going to be talking about multifamily. We're going to dive into some entrepreneurial things as well. So let's get ready. If you guys are looking to make that transition from single family investing over to multifamily investing, this is the podcast you really need to listen to. So Ben, how are you doing, man? How's how's the weather over there in, in Houston? It's 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 gotten a lot cooler this week. Finally, we had a whole summer with triple digits and ninety percent humidity, but finally down in the seventies and a lot cooler this week. So happy to be here, and hopefully, I can add some value. Love it. So you guys got a quite a bit of good things going on there, right? As far as sports, you got the Rangers and the uh, Astros in the ALCS. ALCS. Yep. You have the Texans that's doing a lot better than most people. CJ is doing a lot better than I thought. We're excited to have CJ and he's breaking records and keeping us in the hunt. I mean, as a as a longtime Texans fan, I try not to get too excited about it, especially yeah. at this point in the season. But we're hopeful. We're hopeful. Yep. And I know you you're in uh the southern part of the state, but then you got and Austin just got the big win. So Texas is doing good when it comes to sports. So I'll take it. I'll take it. It's not every year we can say that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So introduce us to Ben uh, Suttles, man. Who are you? How you been doing? And what you been up to as far as a real estate investor and entrepreneur? Well, and, and again, thanks, Marcus, Mike. I appreciate the Arizona Rhea let me join the podcast today. So Suttles, managing partner of Disrupt Equity. We are based in Houston, Texas. We bought and sold close to 6,000 units, mainly in Texas. We also have some assets in Georgia as well as Florida. And we buy Typically just 150 units and above value add properties throughout Texas in the Sun Belt. We actually love Arizona. We've made some offers in Phoenix and Tucson. They got beat out by some California investors. I don't know. You guys just you guys are probably chasing <laughs> chasing the same deals. But yeah. we love that part of the country too. It's just we got to put a little bit more resources out there and hopefully on the next cycle, we can get something. But started Disrupt Equity back in 2017. I've been in commercial real estate off and on since about 2012. But before that, I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, like a lot of probably your listeners probably did. Got that light bulb moment in my head. And I was just kind of, I, I was 
you know, kind of caught into the, to the real estate space and started off by flipping houses, had a few rentals, did some wholesaling. After about two years, I had a buddy that was doing kind of multifamily on the smaller side and encouraged me just to just do some research on the space. And so I started shifting some of my, I guess, time and effort into multifamily and found a group here that was doing it and learned the ropes and how to do it the right way and who to partner up with, how to raise capital, how to syndicate, which is syndication is this kind of buzzword that people hear about. And that's just essentially pulling money from multiple investors to buy something bigger, right? So Mm -hmm. instead of, hey, I've got $500,000 in the bank, I can only buy a $2 million property. Well, what if you went and, you know, raised money from multiple people that have $500,000 in the bank? Now I can buy a $20 million property, right? So that's just the, that's the process of syndication and ultimately ended up doing a few deals within that group and then stepped back and was doing it on my own and was kind of running a meetup group, a networking group here in Houston and met my business partner. That's my business partner to this day. His name's Ferris Musa. And we decided to start a company. Yeah. And so that was where Disrupt Equity was born in 2017 and been kind of rocking and rolling ever since. And, but it's kind of grown into other various things. I mean, we have the acquisition arm, but we also have a property management company we have a construction company, we have an wow. insurance company. So we wow. have these various things that feed into the bigger portfolio and are good standalone businesses on their own, but also help grow the portfolio itself. We're excited. We're being patient this year. We've closed on a couple things, but compared to our historical acquisitions, we, we slowed down quite a bit and we're, we're in the process of just keeping our ear to the ground and building up a little bit of a war chest because we think okay. next year and going into 2025, there's going to be some great buying opportunities for multifamily. So let's talk about that, Dan. And before we start talking about what's coming up in the multifamily space, you making that transition from single family, fixing and flipping and wholesaling over to multifamily. How was that transition for you? Like, what did you do? Did you go from, all right, I'm going to stop fixing and flipping and then I'm just going to buy this four unit or eight unit building? How did that transition work for you? So my first property was 92 units. So I didn't, I guess I didn't progress from a single family to a fourplex. To yeah, something you, a bit. yeah. You so went like from I went one from, to 92. Yeah, I went to one to 92 <laughs> and, and I'll kind of get to how I got there, but no, it's a, it's a slow burn, right? I mean, because I, I was in corporate sales before that. So, I mean, I was I was doing that. I, I actually did that all the way up until 2019. Because, I mean, some of the stuff, you can make some money, but when you got a wife and kids, I mean, there's things that you got to pay for. <laughs> mm-hmm. So having that, that dual income is nice there for a few years until you lose all your hair and you can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But bottom line, yeah, I didn't shut it off and then go all in. Right. I still had my rentals for several years after I bought my first multifamily property. I stopped flipping though. I think, I think what kind of burned me out on single family, and, and this is not to take anything away from flippers. I know wildly successful ones here in town, and, and I've met others in throughout the country that are doing dozens of deals a month and they've got it automated and it's a process and they built a whole firm around it. But when it's one guy trying to run a crew and running from this side of town to that side of town, looking at properties, trying to negotiate, work with the general contractors, buy materials, all this, all this crud was happening. And Mm -hmm. you have to keep up with it all on your own because there's not enough money to go like hire a team and and get anybody else to kind of help you with it. So at the beginning, you're doing all this on, well, that kind of burned me out after a couple of years. 
So I was really kind of looking for something that was a little bit more scalable, something that could add a little bit more to my income that would help me kind of be able to have partners, have a team, kind of build an actual company around it. And that's really what kind of attracted me to multifamily is the scalability of it all. There's companies that I can think of actually that are based in Arizona that have scaled really quite a bit in the last few years. And it's because it once you have that kind of formula down in the acquisition side, you can turn that into a, a pretty sizable portfolio within a few years. Whereas if I was to buy 6,000 single family homes, you can imagine how much effort that would take. Whereas with multifamily, I can get 250, 500, 400 over a year, 300. I mean, that stuff starts adding up pretty quick. And then on top of that, you have enough revenue coming off these properties that it will support full-time property management on site, on site mm-hmm. or on, on site, excuse me. And then ultimately at the corporate side too. So you have people that are actually running these properties on your behalf. So you're no longer trying to run and collect rents like I used to do and call in maintenance guys at 12 o'clock at night because the plumbing backed up. Right. You have people to do that, right? And so that frees you up to look for your next acquisition, look for your next, next investor, look for your next partner on a deal, right? And so... It, it, that was more in line with my skill set as a sales guy versus kind of running around trying to run crews. Just, just wasn't scalable mm-hmm. for me. So, so had to kind of get that right in my mind, switch up my mindset a yeah. little bit because everybody, the first thing that people think is like, oh crap, I 92 unit. How much did you have to raise? I had to raise 800K and people would be like, how did you raise $800,000? Well, I mean, that's, that was, that was a genuine concern of mine when I first got into the business, but once you kind of start breaking down the process, right? It's not $800,000 that I needed to really raise, right? I just needed eight people to say yes to 100,000 bucks, right? And okay. I'd had some private investors that had done some of my flips for me. And I started there, right? I went to a lot okay. of networking events. There's a lot of people that have 100K, believe it or not. And so all I had to do was get people, eight people to say yes, right? So you break that elephant down. And before you know it, and I had a lot of no's, don't get me wrong. It's not like everybody told me yes. In fact, there's a, there's a lot more no's than yeses on that first that first capital raise. Mm-hmm. But that's how I was able to do it. But that's what kind of gets people, I think, scared from taking that jump or that leap from single family to multifamily is really the capital raise. People yeah. are like, how the hell do I raise money? Do I have a you question? So, and, oh, yeah. So I'm like for that. So when you're going to go from flipping houses and you had some relationships you build, people yeah. trust you and work with you. But now you're like, what I could think a lot of people listening might be thinking, but now it's like, okay, you're going to 92 units. Hey, I lent to you on a single family flip for six months. Now you want yeah. 92 units, something you probably have never done. And I think mm-hmm. the person could relate because they have nothing to show potentially, right? So it's kind of similar, yeah. right? It's a brand new world for you. So how how did like how's that work? What is your what do you tell them? What do they ask? So great question. Got that. I've gotten that. A lot over the years, right? And I I think how I was able to kind of break down that barrier is showing them how well I was able to articulate the deal, how I knew all of my numbers, how I knew my business plan, how I knew the various exit strategies, how I was going to mitigate this risk or that risk. I mean, again, folks, I'm a salesperson. So pitching things is what I did for a living. So, you know, this was just another pitch, right? But I had spent so much time. I mean, I broke this deal down a thousand different ways for three months before I went and pitched it. I knew every detail about this deal, right? And probably until this, you asked me a question about it, I probably still still rattle it off because I mean, I had to pitch it so many damn times. But the, the point is, is that 
you come with confidence on something, people yeah. are going to, they're going to, they're going to feel that confidence. You're going to say, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Right. But the other thing that I always tell people getting into multifamily, because everybody has that, that fake it till you make it mentality, or how do I get people, how do I yeah. convince people I'm not some person that's just playing like I'm a multifamily sponsor or syndicator and I actually could do it. You use the term, my partners and I, right? And on this and on my first deal, it wasn't just Ben going out and doing it on his own, yeah. right? Because there are certain things that the lenders expect, especially on the multifamily side, they want a level of experience. They want a level of net worth mm -hmm. and liquidity. And at the time, I didn't have all of those things. I didn't check all those boxes. So I did have a partner. Now, he was a silent partner. He didn't do much, but he, Mike was my partner. Right. And Mike had experience. Mike was an older gentleman. So people felt like, okay, hey, you got this young buck. I don't know about this guy. Can you yeah. really pull it off? Okay. Well, wait. No, he's partnered with Mike. Mike's been in the business for 20 years, has all this experience. He's also going to sign on the note. That gave them more confidence that Ben could pull it off because they felt like Mike would stop gap me. Right. They would, yeah. that Mike would be there to mentor me throughout the process. And, to an extent, he did, right? He didn't do it as much as I probably wanted him to. I learned a lot of things on my own, but he did it. He offered that support up front. And that gave, I think, those eight people the confidence to say, yeah, I'll put money into this deal. Okay. And so I think that that's what people need to take into consideration when they're jumping. It's not just on multifamily and really on commercial real estate. It really is a team. It's a team sport. Very much so. We'll see some guys that are independently wealthy or gals that are independently wealthy that will be able to do the whole thing on their own. Most people are partnering up and they're partnering up for not just necessarily to share the workload. It's also to share the loan balance and net worth right, the and liquidity and all of these, the mm -hmm. risk of the deal, right? Or, or this person can raise money and this person can't, but this person found the deal. There's always these reasons why you add value to other people. And on that case, Mike was looking for a deal. I found a deal. I was looking for somebody that could be that partner that showed that experience. So it was a symbiotic relationship. But if you're getting in, if you're coming in from single family and you're saying, oh man, all these things, how do I get there? Leverage your partners. That's yeah. what they're there for. Great. So let me ask you this, Ben. Right? Can you talking about, hey, I had to analyze this deal for three months, right? So What's is we got the chicken or the egg syndrome, right? Do you go out and you raise the capital and then you go and find the the asset, or are you locking in or trying to lock in the asset and then go and raise the capital? I think when it's because the, it's not just like, hey, I need somebody just to give me a hundred thousand bucks, like dude, we're talking about big capital raises. I think you need to have some preliminary conversations with people that would potentially put money in. Okay. And people have probably been given this advice in the past, but it's legit, right? You put a fake kind of investor deck together, right? Hey, this is a deal. Maybe you didn't win it, but here's what I was going to do. Here's the returns that we were going to make. Here's the exit strategy. And you start going around and you're pitching people. Hey, if I find a deal that, that hits this box or roughly this box, would you invest? Feel their questions, feel their concerns, get them excited. So when you actually have a deal, they've already been primed. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, now if you're just like, hey, I haven't talked to this guy. I met him at a networking event five years ago, and now I'm going to just pitch him out of the blue on, hey, I'm raising five million bucks. Is you're going to, this probably going to fall on deaf ears. So I would always say that you need to have a deal. It, it, the better the deal, the more likely you're going to have somebody that's going to say, you know what, I'll put some money into that. So if you don't have the deal at all, it's all bets are off. But you want to have those preliminary conversations up front, even prior to the deal, just so your people are ready.
Okay. Uh, they know, so it's basically, not is it like having that deal box pretty much? Hey, yeah, this is what defined, we're trying right? to, this is what we're yeah, trying like, to make. You know, okay. I'm trying to, I'll, I'll use you guys as part of the, I'm looking in Phoenix, hundred units and above. It's going to be in maybe this part of town and, and then it's they have some value add and these are going to be the things we're going to come in. We're going to update the interiors. We're going to do this, this, giving them that, that box that they can, okay, that actually sounds like something that I'd be in, interested in investing in, right? Because a okay. lot of people, they know about multifamily, but I'm, I remember when I first got into single family, that was because I used to do rich dad, poor dad's training thing. And we were on a bus tour. And I remember to this day, this was 12 years ago, this guy, we were driving past an apartment. He's like, oh man, those are like ATM machines. They're just making money. And I'm just like thinking, I'm like, how could you ever buy something like that? Like, isn't that a bunch right. of Wall Street head fund guys? So that's what a lot of people think, right? They understand single family because everybody, well, not everybody, but most people understand the fact of a home and maybe a lot of people have a home, right? But multifamily commercial properties, that's like something different. So you have to get people educated on what it is. You have to get people educated on syndication too. And so if you can come to them with, hey, this is the defined box of what I'm looking for. This is the timeline that I'm looking to get it under contract by. And this is what your investment might look like, right? And getting them educated on, hey, I'm pulling money. I'm syndicating this. This is what that means. You're going to be a part of an LLC. You'll be a partner. I'm going to give you a K-1. Educating them all on that. Then they're ready to go. You've already broken down or solved a lot of their problems and, and gotten past a lot of their excuses. And now it's just a matter of just pitching them on the deal. You know? That's good. And so I think that's where you have to start. So the recap, know the deal, know the numbers inside and yep. out. Right. Absolutely. And your first deal for sure, man. And really, let's be honest. I know every freaking deal that we, and, and we bought in 12, 27 deals. I know every, like at least the high level metrics on every single one of them, but like on that first deal, you need to be coming in with some confidence. And if, 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 if like, okay, what's your average rent? And you sit there and you fumble on that, you're toast. Yeah, they were going to be like, I ain't giving you hundred K screw that. Because <laughs> they're going to think that you don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. Right. So knowing all the information leads to that confidence, right? And when you have yeah. that confidence, it shows in the enthusiasm and the energy yeah. Like you said, that transfers over. Use my partners and I. So you're most likely in a bigger deal going to have someone working with you or some type of team. Yep. And then what, one thing that was huge that you said, not one thing, but another thing is that no, there's no convincing in this business. You can't convince someone to no. buy a deal, right? They're going to see the numbers and they're going to see who you are and they're going to make their their decision. No, no well, that's, and 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 I'll, I'll put, I'll give you guys another scenario. So I'll flip this thing on its head. Right. I'm also a passive investor in a lot of a lot of deals. And really what I look for is I'm back in the jockey, not the horse. Right. And so yep. what does that mean? That means I'm investing in the guy or the gal that's putting the deal together. Right. Because I know that things are like this. The market's up, market's down. Some markets are up, some markets are down. You don't really know. It's like throwing money into a stock. I mean, we all say uh, Apple's a great company, but who knows? Maybe Tim Cook gets caught up in a sex scandal and the freaking stock tanks. Who knows what right. could happen in the future, right? So you're backing the person that's going to be managing that asset through these ups and downs, right? And so again, if you come off confidently, you can answer their questions. You can get past their concerns because there's always going to be a concern. Well, what about this or what about that? And you got to realize as a syndicator, when you're raising capital, you're really a fiduciary. And what does that mean? That means that you are the steward of this money. And the most important thing that you can do when you're raising capital is not lose anybody's money. People always get caught up on the returns, right? The returns are important. But I had a really wealthy guy and he told me, 
I got right into the pitch. I thought I was like, oh, I'm going to bag this whale, right? So let me let me stop you there, son. Before you get into how you're going to give me a return on my money, I want to know how you're going to return my money. And what he was essentially, and then he started getting into how much is the dirt worth, right? I want to know on a per square foot basis, how much that, like, because what he's doing in his mind is the multifamily has been blown over. Hurricane XYZ has come through and the whole damn thing is leveled. How much is that dirt worth? And what is that going to equate to? And yeah, it's going to be pennies on the dollar, but at least I'm going to get that much back. And that's how wealthy people look. They're, that's how they look at their investments. It's because they've already made money. They don't want to lose any money. Yeah. And as a fiduciary, mm-hmm. you if you go into any pitch or any talk with an investor like that, and you're saying, hey, this is how I'm going to mitigate your risk. I'm not even going to talk about your how much returns you're going to make. This is how I'm going to make sure you don't lose any money. A lot of people appreciate that. Yeah, Because they always look at it like, hey, yeah, there's some opportunity costs that I lost out on it, but at least I didn't lose a penny. Right. They don't care if they don't make any money for five years. They just don't want. They just don't want to lose any money. And that's that's important. Key. Right. It's key. Love it, man. So, so let me ask you this, Ben. So, doing that, kind of going back to that from one to ninety-two, that ninety-two unit. How did you find it? How did you really yeah. become comfortable with the numbers? Because commercial is a, is a whole totally different game than it is single family. So, how did you build that confidence? Yeah, and and. I mean, I was a part of a group here in Texas, so I did learn how to underwrite a deal, which is essentially like you take the current financials, you're recasting some things. Where can I push rents to? Are they paying too much for insurance? And then you're trying to, you're trying to project out over the course of one to sometimes upwards of 10 years. And it has to be somewhat conservative. It can't be like, oh, rents are going to go up 20% every year. So it has to be somewhat within that box. So that's really what I learned first. And so if you're not confident in reading financials and working on a spreadsheet, that's probably where you need to start. Because even if you're just going to be a passive investor, you're saying, man, I don't want to do anything that Ben's doing. That sounds like that sounds like garbage. But I would like to maybe invest in something like that. You at least need to know what a good deal is, right? Yeah. And I have a lot of passive mm-hmm. investors, even to this day, people that have invested time and time again with me, they're like, hey, can you send me the T12 and the rent roll? And essentially what they're asking for there's a trailing 12-month PL statement mm-hmm. and a rent roll kind of dictating what rents are currently because they're going to underwrite the deal themselves. They're right. wanting to see if it's going to hit within their box. And so you need to start there. And then ultimately, you just need to get yourself either educated on the closing process, what vendors you need to use, how high level, how does it work? And luckily, I mean, I'm, I was doing real estate before, so I had somewhat of an idea. It's a little bit different. Right. Because you have that capital raise component to it. But ultimately, a closing is a closing, right? And you got lenders involved, you got title involved, you got lawyers involved. Some of that's the same crap. You just, you're, it's just at a different level, right? And so, but you need to understand that. And then I think the biggest thing too is, is making sure that you've got, once you've closed the thing, that you've got the right people on the back end, right? You've got a property management company that understands the business plan and is going to go out there and execute it. You got a good general contractor that's going to go out there and do all the CapEx work that you've planned on doing, right? If you don't have those two people, you're toast anyway. I mean, and, and people always think that the hardest part mm-hmm. is closing the deal. I'm like, no, that's where that's the easiest part. Right. Actually executing on said business plan is actually the hardest part of the whole entire process. And unless you have those good team members on your team, you're going to fumble right out of the gate. And so I had to get educated on all of that stuff, 
right? Wow. And again, I had Mike, who was my partner on the on the deal. I would come to him for like one question. Hey, how do we handle this? Oh, go do this. Or who should we talk to? Oh, go, go talk to this person. So having somebody that's already gone through that process is important. Right. Yeah. yeah very no. Cool. No, and, and this was 10, 12 years ago. There wasn't as much stuff on the internet. I mean, yeah, we still had some podcasts, but it wasn't it wasn't as you know prevalent as it is now. Right. Yeah. There's some great content out there that's relatively cheap, if not free. Yeah. Right. There's books mm-hmm. out there that are way better than the stuff that I read back then. So I'm not saying you got to go pay 20, 30, 40, 50 grand for a guru. But there is some validity in going with the right person, right? If you really feel like, hey, I learned better with that handholding, that mentoring, that training, as long as you're just taking that and running with it, and you're not just sitting on it. I see a lot of people that will spend a lot of money and then they don't, they don't actually do the do training anything. or the if, if you're like the type of guy like, hey, if you just tell me how to do it, I'll go out and make it happen, then go get a guru. They'll, they'll at least yep. guide you in the right direction and they'll essentially give you a business in a box. We'll say, hey, go use this guy for your attorney, use this person for your title company, go to this lender. They give you some of the right contacts too. And that's really how you're going to take it from the single family world to the, to the multifamily world. You're going to have to know some of the stuff. You can't just stumble your way into it. It's just too many. There's too many dollars and there's too much risk. And so get yourself educated, network with the right people, get the right contacts, build the right team, start pitching deals to potential investors, then start making offers, right? And in multifamily, especially where, where we play, 99% of the deals are getting done through real estate agents. They're called brokers yeah. in the commercial world. I don't know why, who freaking knows, but Same bottom line agents. is they've got, they've got, there's a lot of that going on where you've got a lot of the real estate brokers that are doing all these deals. So make sure that you're networking with them as well, right? Go. That's where you're going to find your product. So you're not doing the, the yellow letters and the, the bandit signs right. and all right. that stuff. Like I get it. That's what I mean. I, I did that stuff all throughout single family. It just doesn't work at this level. And it really doesn't work probably past, I'd say maybe 20 or 30 units. I mean, you know, what? yeah, because you're just going to have more sophisticated sellers that are running it more like a business. And some stuff's going to be, it's going to be bought and held within an LLC. So you're not really going to have, you're maybe going to have a PO box. You're not going to have the guys, you know, direct home address or, or phone number. So kind of getting educated on that process too. And how do you find deals is important as well. So, so is, go ahead, Mike. Oh, yeah. No, that's key what you said. The, the difference from multi larger multifamily to single family is that these savvier investors have those relationships with their agents. Yeah, like I said, yeah, that's yeah. a huge because right now in, yeah. in commercial or for like office space and stuff like that, there's a gentleman here in town that's just always keeping me up to date. Anything I need or any referral I have, it's always him. So, if a letter came in the mail, I'll probably have him call. Yeah. That. Or no, 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 I mean, it's, it's important. I mean, those guys and, and people are like, well, why can't, why, why, what's the big deal? Why can't we just go find sellers again? It, it's because most of this stuff is, is more sophisticated owners, their businesses behind this. And, and really, if you're a seller in the commercial world, you're going to go through a real estate agent because their whole job is to be the intermediary, right? They know the people that are buying that asset type in that area. They are there to bridge the gap. And ultimately, if I'm a seller, I'm going through a real estate agent because I feel I can get the best bang for my buck. Right. I'm always feeling like if I'm going direct with an investor, that guy's trying to shark me. 
And it's, let's be honest. I mean, like as investors, we are probably, I am trying to get a better yeah, deal. Right? Trying because, to get the best deal. Yeah, because the agent, if he's involved, he's going to try to create some feeding frenzy where the that price is going to go up 10 or 20%. And that's, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, that's what they're there for. And that's going to justify their fee. And that's all fine. I mean, I don't have any problem with any of the real estate agents. That's what they do in the market. But just, I think people, when they get it, when they come from single family to multi they have a tendency to try to use the same marketing strategies. And I'm just telling them it's just not the case anymore. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta graduate to something different because it's just a different market. Yeah. Because your marketing now is geared towards marketing the brokers and building those relationships yeah. with the brokers. Absolutely. That way they can bring you the deals. You're not going to go, like you said, direct to seller because you're not going to find out who the seller is. A lot of them are in blind trust, LLCs, yep. things like that. So, okay. Yep. So you said something key early on. You said that, hey, in the next 12 to 24 months right now, we're just stockpiling cash because we see what's coming up on the horizon. What are you seeing that's coming up on the horizon that the uh, listeners may not be aware of? So to see the future, you got to look at the past, right? And so what happened after COVID, everybody thought COVID, man, there's the this the, the pinprick that's going to pop the bubble, Right. Mm-hmm. Well, for a few months, it, it was kind of looking like that. I mean, I wasn't even telling fair, like, man, this whole thing is about to implode. Well, what ended up happening it was like a rubber band. It got kind of pulled back, but man, it shot out. Shot off. And so, you know, the back half of 2020, at least here in Texas and probably even in Arizona, there's probably some Northeast yep. California. They're a little bit farther behind us, but it started ripping and roaring. And so cap rates went through the freaking basement, you know, so that means values went up. Yep. And then on top of that, debt got really, really cheap, right? So even the commercial world, I know people that locked in that sub 3% on commercial fixed loans for 10 years at 2.75%, you know, and, and, and probably throughout our rest of our career for the next 20 or 30 years, we're probably never going to see it that low, right. right? Well, what ended up happening is some of those weren't all fixed rates, some of those were variable rates. So they mm-hmm. locked in at 2.75, but now their interest is 9.75. And not everybody is going to have what's called an interest rate gap. And look this up. I don't want to get into it on this podcast, but yep. it's such a hedge that keeps your interest rate at a certain level. Even if you had that, your interest rate still went up three, 400 basis points. Well, what does that equate to in terms of interest that you're paying each month? It's tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, Right. Well, when you weren't when you weren't performing performing that type of interest growth that you're going to have to pay every month, you're toast, right? So mm-hmm. now your now your note's gone up a hundred thousand dollars that the property can't support. So what do you do? You do one of two things. Well, you one of three things. You're either coming out of pocket and you're paying for it. You're going back to your investors and doing a capital call and hoping they'll give you money, or and that's not good. Back. Or you're giving the keys back to the lender and saying, I just, you know, yep. market's tough and here you go. Right. Well, the first two things are happening right now. Right now, most yep. people are trying to burn through their own reserves. I've got some money. I'm going to do this or that. And I'm going to try to keep plugging that hole. Right. Well, that's that's starting to that's starting to run thin. So now people mm-hmm. are doing capital calls. Now they're going back to their investors and saying, you know what? Market's tough. You're going to have to put this money in. But typically what we've seen through our, we've never done a capital call, but what we've seen through our friends that have had to do them, you're getting 50% participation, yeah, right? So you're that, not going to get, good. Yeah. you're not going to get the amount of money that you really truly need. So you go out there for a capital call, a million bucks, you will get 500K. That's just going to make, that's prolonging your pain. Just, just that, that, yeah. 
little less amount of time, right? And, and so and you're you're losing credibility with your you're absolutely now that now that person has said, man, I'm gonna think twice if not ever yep. invest with this person ever again, right? So you're toast there. And then say these things don't work, right? And you're just saying, hey, I can't keep paying my mortgage. It's literally putting me out of business. I'm not gonna, you know, put my you know fortune in jeopardy or whatever. Then you start going back to the bank and saying, hey, either you restructure my loan, which most banks are not doing right now. So there's not a lot of restructuring that's happening because they haven't felt that pain just yet. They're giving the keys back. And we've seen some big stuff, splashy stuff on Wall Street and some of these other, where some of these syndications have blown up. So a couple here in Houston. You yep. know, yep. And it was because these guys were buying crappy deals and crappy areas and they were taking on way too much leverage and the and the rate was was variable and it went through the freaking roof they couldn't service the note so they had to give the keys back right well that's starting the 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 dam is starting to break on that right so our thesis is there is a lot of notes coming up due in 24 and 25 and a lot of these guys ain't even going to make it that long Right. And even if they do, say they make it, they do a capital call, they got money. When they go to refinance, they're not going to be able to get out of the loan because now their basis, they're underwater. Their basis is less yeah. than their loan amount. So what do they have to do? They have to sell it at a loss. So you're either coming into a situation where we're going to be buying deals off the bank again, or you're going to potentially be working your broker contacts. And you're going to be getting some good deals, at not pennies on the dollar, but probably 50 cents, 60 cents on the dollar of something that might've gone for a lot more in 21 and, and, and 22, right? Because these guys just have to sell. And they're, they're in their minds, it's like, okay, if I can at least give my investors back 50 or 60% of their initial right. capital, it's better than losing everything, right. right? And so that's already happening. And so we're already starting to see those deals, especially this last quarter. And I think it's just going to continue to balloon over the next 12 to 18 months. And so- we're of the thought processes where we just be patient and we wait for some mm -hmm. of that stuff. And that's really yep. where during the great financial crisis, some of the bigger players that are that are in our business now, that's how they made their fortunes. That's how they got big is because they're buying up a thousand, two thousand, three thousand units at a time because they're buying for pennies on the dollar from the bank. They weren't paying top dollar. What? But that gave them the scale to really go out and build a, a company behind. And so I don't know if it's going to be as bad as the great financial crisis in terms of foreclosures, but there's definitely some, some bad stuff that's happening in the market. Nobody wants to talk about it because it's not, it's negative and we all need to smoke more hopium, I guess. It's, <laughs> it's just, I mean, so at the end of the day, I'm, I'm kind of on the bearish side where, you know, I, I think there's going to be some people who are going to get smoked. I, I want to be there. I don't want to be a statistic. I want to be the guy on the, the other side of the transaction that buying that stuff. And buying them. Yep. No, no. <laughs> so Ben, can you tell us somebody that's looking to make that transition right into commercial real estate because they see, all right, 2024, back half of 2024, 2025, there's going to be premium opportunity. What should they be doing right now? Get yourself educated. First and foremost, you got to understand how these deals work, right? How to underwrite a deal, how to operate a deal, like get that, start building out your team, right? Start talking with potential investors, start talking with brokers, networking with people, right? That is the, that is what I would be doing right now for probably the next six months. Go ahead and build that out. Get your, get that acumen, 
nice and strong because the brokers also can, they can smell a newbie pretty far, pretty mm -hmm. far out. Right. So you've got to know the terminology. You got to know how to talk the talk and walk the walk. But again, having good partners helps with that. Right. Oh right. yeah. I'm partnered with so-and-so. And then the broker knows that guy. Okay. All right. You're partnered with that guy. Then you're a good guy. Right. By default. And so if you start laying that groundwork now, you'll be in a lot better position whenever those opportunities come along. I love it. So yeah, everyone out there that's uh, interested in going into the multi here at Ezria, we have a multifamily subgroup on the third Monday of every month. So meet like-minded people like Ben uh, here. So um, any parting words before we wrap up, Ben? No, I mean, again, be patient, get yourself educated, network. And then I think the last bit of advice that I give people is take action. I'm a big Tony Robbins fan, right? Ready, aim, fire, right? Was the real term, but he's like, ready, fire, aim. What does that mean? That means go ahead and take action, get into the game, right? Start making some offers. You can adjust along the way, right? As long as you don't make a catastrophic error, but you should have gotten yourself educated up front. But I see too many people that go out to RIAs or go out to networking events, two, three, four years down the road, they haven't done a damn thing. They haven't done one deal. Yeah. Just do something. Right. Take action. Yeah. That's the most important thing, because the one thing that's been the most success for us is getting momentum. Once you get that momentum, man, it propels you quite, quite a bit in this in this business. And you're never going to you're never going to hit that home run unless you get up to the bat. True. So. So, Ben, how can we find you, follow you that way? Maybe you inspired somebody on this podcast and they're like, hey, what well, may not be ready to take action right now, but I'm going to follow Ben and see what he's up to. Where can we reach you? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we're all over Facebook, we're all over Instagram, but uh, check us out first, www.disruptequity.com. Follow us there. We got Facebook, we got Instagram, we got Twitter, we got all that stuff, LinkedIn. We put out a lot of content, we put out a lot of free content. We're not selling anything. And ultimately, me and Ferris's, uh, I think, thought process on that is we just want people to do the business the right way. And if I can give you some wisdom that I've learned maybe the hard way, along the way because I made every damn mistake in the book. If you can learn from me and you can, can make a little bit of money in this business, then I'll sleep a little bit better at night. Love it. All right. Perfect. Perfect. So you guys know exactly what to do. One of the things Ben said was get out there and take action. You know what? Go out there, start evaluating deals, start building broker relationships. And you can always come to Azria to our multifamily subgroup. And Remember, Azria is all about empowering investors one property at a time. So come meet us November 14th, which is our anniversary date for our monthly meeting. We'll love to have you, love to see you. And then also, you enjoy this content. Please let me and Mike know so we know that we're bringing the quality guests that you need to hear and that you need to hear from. And then share with us, give us a five-star review so we can definitely share the right information with you. So thank you so much. Ben, for being here. Thank you, Mike, for being such a wonderful executive director and co-host. With that being said, you all get out there and start taking massive action. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.